call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 125 of Call It Friendo, the podcast where two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy J. Ritchie, and my co-host, Annika Tiernan, watch two films about the media, 1987's Broadcast News and 1976's Network. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the films right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. You can find us on Instagram at Call Friendo Podcast. Drop us a line there for any feedback or recommendations. And find me on Letterboxd at AndyCIFPod. Peace. We're live. We are live. We are live, exactly. Uh, much like um, enemy of the show, Mike Rice. We did actually receive a message from Michael Rice, by the way. Did Do we? I hear that? Yeah, he yeah. sent it in. He sent in a voice, uh, a little voice note for us. Oh, Matt, wow. It's me, comedian Mike Rice from off of YouTube. I just wanted to let you guys know that Call It Friendo is the best podcast in the world. Up the raw. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, he's really working on his showbiz accent. Fair play to you. Fair play to you, Mike. Um, and tuning in this week. I know you love both these films. Yeah. I'm just we, worried that he's losing his roots. You think he's losing his roots? Mm. Yeah. You think he's disconnecting slightly from his great grandfather, Kunta Kinta? <laughs> no, I was talking about his hair. Oh, hello. I did, oh man, I did two slam dunkers in work today, but then uh, all the way home on my scooter, I was thinking, God damn, should I have said either of those things? But they yes, were both funny. No, is the answer no. If it's at work, no, you should have shop. So this lady said she dyed her hair at home. And then I said, uh, we were all sitting around eating lunch. And I said, um, I, what did you mean to dye like the very bottom parts a different color? Or <laughs> like, That's she had fine. actually, that one's okay. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Everyone had a giggle about that. And then, um, oh, yeah, yeah. No, this was the one because I walk, I, I, I go walk after I eat lunch. So I'll eat uh, the first part of my lunch with those guys. And then I go just go for a walk. So we were talking about like comments that we get on the social media. And I said, uh, oh, yeah, I keep getting these comments from this guy in who owns a hostel in Bali telling me if I'm in the hospitality industry, I should shave. And uh, everyone's like, oh, and that's true. That part, that part of it is true. And I, I said, agree. man, man, what are you talking about? I took his advice. My balls are like eggs ever since. <laughs> and how did people react to that? Did that Honestly, well? two or three people give it the respect it deserved. It was a great joke, I, I think. Um, but I think a couple of people I could see in their faces as I was because they had to picture your smooth balls. Well, exactly. But that's Egg the point. Like of, that's the point of the joke. <laughs> but some people don't like that kind of thing. Some I don't know. Don't... While you're eating lunch in particular, was it during lunch? It was during lunch. It's, it's not right. I, I love not you right. guys. Did you watch anything before these two classic movies we watched this week? I've only watched uh, two trailers. Two That's trailers? It. Yeah. Do you know what they are? No, but I have like three things to talk about. This <laughs> oh, is disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> I was busy. I went to a gig. I mean, I was reading. I saw my, you went to a gig. Reading a book. Yeah, I went to see the band Wednesday. What was the... Good. Was it good? Yeah. 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 I already, I recommended the album by the lead guitarist, MJ Lenderman. Yes. And that's an excellent album. Right. He's the guitarist in the band. I didn't realize that. He's dating the lead singer. Oh, wow. That's cool. They're far too, I know. Exactly. That's that band's all over. They're in their twenties as well. Although Luna ended up okay. I guess. Yeah. Sonic Youth did not. 
they did not. But I was just watching these artists in their mid-twenties going, oh, 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 you haven't even begun to live your lives yet. Oh. It was and a good gig, was it? Just having fun. Yeah, it's quality, good band. Good and you're stuff. reading a book also? Reading a book. I'm reading my high school English teacher's memoir because I wanted off. to see if, for real, I wanted to see if, I, come on, this all came about Last week, because I was talking about the actor Eamon Elliott, who was two years below me at school, blow me at school. And <laughs> classic. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, eggs. The balls are like eggs. And uh, yeah. And then I found out that because we he talked, I saw some interview where he talked about this English teacher and said, like, he changed my or I don't know, changed my life. Maybe Let, well, let's let's go there. Let's say changed my life. He and changed then, your life. Well, his life. Me too. No, he was a great English teacher, but. He went out to see Eamon Elliott do a play on like Broadway or something, I think. So I saw that. But then I find out that this English teacher had to like play his memoir last year. So Steve, I'm reading it just to see if I'm in it. <laughs> to see if I made the cut. Is it any good? Yeah, yeah, it's solid. If you're in, if you're into, <laughs> if you're into English teaching, then uh, well, okay, I man, I'm reading it because I know the guy, and he taught me, and he talks about the school. He talks about other teachers, which is quite funny. So, like, hearing stories about people and going like, "That's Mr. Dixon. I remember him from school." <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like you're getting yeah, but- all this peek into what was really going on. I would also say that memoir is easily uh, the most readable form of it's very i'm just firing through it because it's just like anecdotes and like exactly exactly Uh, all you need all you need is to for someone to have a slight turn of phrase like even like footballers i mean they obviously all get help from ghostwriters but that's neither here nor there because the stories tend to be true. They're they're sitting down with the ghost story writers telling them stories. Um, I'm going to tell you what this book is called, by the way. It's called Is There a Pigeon in the Room? My Life in Schools by Cameron Wiley. It's a good title. Yeah, because there was a pigeon. Spoilers, there was a pigeon in the room. There was. I actually just finished reading a memoir and I have it right near me here. And I'm. Gonna... Is it, is it uh, Greta Thunberg's? No, it's a... Uh... It's invisible. David Milch. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, it's David Milch's life's life's work. Life's work. It's really good. It's got Pierre Finch on the cover. So the reason I I decided to get a hold of it was because uh, when I heard that he was, um, when I heard he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, I also heard that he was two thirds of the way finished with his memoir. And he, like he said in an interview, he just wanted to get the memoir finished. And the, in, I honestly, it doesn't disappoint. The intro of the memoir is uh, basically him on the way to some island resort to just forget being alive. Like oh, that's, uh, he's writing the final bits of it, and he's like, "I've written as much as I can. Here we go. Uh, I had a good chunk of it written beforehand. You know, my nearest and dearest will come over this." And here's the thing: I'm a fan of a super fan, super fan of one thing he's done ever, but I appreciate lots of other things he's done. But I mean. I I texted Deadwood. you I texted you about this. I think it's possible Deadwood is the greatest artistic undertaking ever in terms of historical fiction. I really really mean that. He did the, the show about horses, right? Horse racing was that yeah. Look, 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 yeah. look. Yeah, which I, I watched. I brought up I on this podcast, and that is good. That is good. It's got a great cast. Dennis Farina's in it. Uh, Dustin Hoffman's in it. Um, and it also feeds into his lifelong obsession with thoroughbreds, which he goes into detail in the in the book, like philosophically, why he, he was so into horses and gambling in general. But he also goes into 
the inspiration and the drive to write something like Deadwood. And it it very much matches up with the reason why I love Deadwood so much is is just the the plot and the arcs are so unpre- like about half of it is true, but half of it is not. But everything in it is spun out so unpredictably and lifelike and then backed up with just these gorgeous sets. And I didn't realize this actually until I read the memoir. Every season of Deadwood, every episode is a day at a time. Every episode. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So like a 12 episode series, there's only three series, uh, but like let's say the second series is 12 episodes long. That's 12 episodes in the camp, 12 days in the camp. rather. That's, nice. the, that's the uh, that's the idea of it. And it does have that. Feel. I, I, I genuinely there are certain shots in it where you go, wow, the amount of money that they pour into all sorts of other bollocks and it doesn't look as real and transportative as this it's incredible but and that memoir is great i'm not saying it's better than your uh, former teacher's memoir though it's not a competition what are the final pages of his memoir like are they just like random letters around the page and then like question mark seven <laughs> dollar I sign <laughs> i saw your light your eyes light up when i brought it up and i, I knew you're gonna say no i mean that. that's 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 harsh i'm sure it's no no no, no. it starts it's, strong it's... and it fades towards the end it signs off very emotionally. So yeah. someone did um someone else like finish it or something? No, not it doesn't come across like that anyway. That's not the messaging that's sent. Uh, there's a there's a message uh, a postscript from his his wife, but he seems to have written the conclusion himself. But it's uh, I, I I unashamed to say I I, I cried at the end. I th- I I think it's a real testament because the, the the thing is as well is it's not like this is fucking you know, Charles Dickens writing something life-changing. He didn't need to really write this book. I'm sure not many people have bought it. In general, his contribution to the world has been appreciated, but I'm sure David Milch is not a name that many people know, but the title really sort of says it all. It's life's work, like life is work, and he's just talking about, you know, what he got up to in, in his days. And that's why, like, a good... <laughs> an appropriate amount of uh, page space for a compulsive gambler such as this man is given over to thoroughbred horse riding, which is Respect. fascinating in, in itself. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Ponies. So, so I guess this is uh, the debut of the Call It Book uh, Readers podcast. <laughs> Call it Book Club. By the way, oh. those uh, two trailers that I watched, I'll tell you what they are. One of them Dude. is Masters of the Air. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Starts There's on trailer, January 26th. Yeah. This is the um, Apple TV the Plus third. Uh, third in the Band of Brothers thing. Yeah, it's mm. Band of Brothers Part 3. Yes! Starring Austin Butler and Barry Keown and anyone else who's up and coming. There's no way this can be that good. And produced by the guy from Licorice Pizza. Paul Thomas Anderson? No, the the actual character from that. What's he called? Do you remember that? The guy who's... The, the main character from Licorice Pizza is like a film and TV producer. What's he called again? John Peters? No. Yeah, yeah. Do some Googling there. I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. The main character of Licorice Pizza, Gary... What the fuck's he called? Gary Goatsman. 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 Him. He's the producer of uh, of all those series. I did not know that. He works, with, uh, he works with old Tommy Hanks. Old Tommy Hamshanks. Yeah, it looks, it looks solid. It looks... A bit more modern in a bad way, though. Like it, it looks, they're it not looks really, really planes. well. Sh- well, I, that's not what I mean. Like it looks really well shot, but it looks like it has a kind of glossy 
at times like a bit sort of Michael Bay. Uh, just to, I'm worried that it might not have the same depth. Like it certainly looks the part, but it just it might not have the same depth as the other two. I mean, how could it possibly? Like if you think about it, in the, like so these are, and this is to take nothing away from the heroes of the air, but these are these are two hour maximum mission guys. Do you know what I mean? Right. Whereas the guys who are in the shit for fucking like months at a time. Exactly, it just can't compare. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, the, and I think that's the main, main appealing factor of it is the the bond formed through combat. And I think, and I this this isn't to say, like for example, the Tom Hardy sections of Dunkirk are, are phenomenal. Good. Yeah, I'm a bit. I'm actually a huge fan of the movie Battle of Britain from the 70s. And um, mm. I think I, I I not a fan. I've never seen it. I can't even tell you who's in it. I actually I I think that's really really good. I, of course, Top Gun Maverick. I'm not saying that. Yeah. The, you can't make a real war a good real um, war hero exactly the enemy the enemy they defeated <laughs> the, the enemy the black helmets <laughs> they defeated the enemy that that yeah. time yeah but i i don't like i've read the um the book that uh, band of brothers is based on and the main draw of it is the bonds formed in combat and i i i don't think this could possibly be a worthy entry in the trilogy we'll no matter what names that t- anyway how's the trailer January. Good, it's solid. The other trailer that I watched was for Reacher Season 2, which starts oh, next that. month. That looked very fun. Neely's back, and then he's working with like a bunch of his old special investigation unit guys. Looks like great dad, uh, dad TV. Hell yeah. I'm a big Yay. fan of dad TV. I'm not even a dad. and I'm gonna. It's got Robert Patrick in it. Herc from The Wire's in it. Hell yeah. Dominic Lombardozzi, he's in it. So looks fun. I'm very much looking forward to that already. So that's it. I wa- the, All my watching was things that were like two minutes long. So perfect. Why don't we just watch trailers instead? You get so much. Get like a real taster and then you can just no, be like, no, I'm good no, with no. it. Yum, 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 I had uh, more free time than a lot of weeks this week. Um, mm. but, well, first of all, I would say on the way to and um, back from work, I've been listening to um, the Alan Partridge book, I Partridge, We Need to Talk About Alan. Uh-huh. And uh, it's just, um, I don't know, I've been told this a lot of times, and I listened to this audiobook years ago, but this might be the highest form of Partridge after the I'm Alan Partridge living in a hotel season, plus him living in the caravan with the Polish lady. Like this, because I didn't like the last one in the BBC that everybody... What about the film? How do you feel about that? The film I love. I'm a big fan of Alpha Papa. I think Alpha Papa is hilarious. In its own way, though, it's not hilarious quite like I'm Alan Partridge. Yeah. Uh, it's just a very funny... It's almost like a, like a Will Ferrell movie that's made in Britain. It's so ridiculous. It's completely crazy. But the audiobook for the one I'm listening to plays on the hilarity of Alan's language so, <laughs> so much that, like, I'm just scooting around and occasionally just laughing my ass off. Like, I... <laughs> Like, uh, what was <laughs> until his sporting career ended when one day, uh, in celebration of a goal for Manchester United, he took off his top and started slapping his belly and tits. And it, it's just like those little the, one syllable will get you. So I'm, I'm enjoying that a lot. But besides that, I watched two things which I'll now speak a little bit about. Oh. First was The King's Man. Ah, uh, no, don't say that. I heard it was awful. Did, is it like a, so? This is like the prequel. prequel yes. Prequel. Who who did you hear was awful uh, uh, from? 
just some guy, just some guy in the street. He was screaming it, said the Kingsman shite. Did you, are you a fan of either of the previous two? I like the first one. I thought that was good. I My memory of it is not that strong, but I remember thinking that like that church scene where Colin Firth murders yeah, that- a bunch of people is quite strong and holds some weight. But then the second film having, um, what's his name? Elton John? Yeah, having Elton John just like playing himself and everything. Yeah, that was a problem for me too. It was like breaking the fourth wall. Was it the second one as well that they like, they put Channing Tatum on ice? Like literally. I can't remember. He was supposed to be in it and then they bring him in and then he gets frozen. And then they're like, okay, we're not going to have him. All I can say is, I do agree with you for the most part about the second movie. I'm a big fan, a medium-sized fan of the first movie. But I thought this prequel movie was genuinely really, really good. Um, And it really, really surprised me. I put this on basically because my family was gone upstairs and I was like, I'll watch something for 30 minutes that I genuinely don't give a fuck about and um, drift off while I'm watching it. And honestly, I got a little rowdy while I was watching it for my enthusiasm for the picture. So it it is a prequel. It's um, the origin story of the spy organization. Ray Fiennes plays this um, uh, Red Cross officer during um, the Boer War. He calls into a a camp and uh, his wife ends up getting shot and she makes him promise, don't let our son ever see any war because their son is there with them. So fast forward and you get like a primary school explanation of how the (laughs) First World War started. That's exactly what I need. Man, would you believe me if I told you that it might actually be exactly what you need. Is it so, actually, like, accurate? No, it was, no, 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 hold on. The primary school understanding of it is, the, like, so you know how I am about about history. Yeah. But but I'm not, I don't mind people taking liberties. And in the, the early Indiana Jones films, if it's very clear, if they're broadcasting, we're completely taking liberties, by the way. So they give you the base reasons why the First World War started. And then there's this conspiracy, which Gabriel Princep and Rasputin and everybody is all in on to kind of bring Britain down. I'm not giving any spoilers here at all. I've always been a I'm I'm quite a fan of Matthew Vaughn's movies. Generally, this is fiction anyway, and he's creating like a weird like spy story around fiction. So that's fine. He can do what he wants. So I'm a big fan of the way. I don't know. I like the way his movies show up. I like the way they're cartoony but real. So you kind of don't notice the special effects when they come. Like uh, Fury Road, for example. Like they, they're it's such a cartoonish, real realisticness mm. re- that you don't quite notice much beyond that. The plot points hit appropriately. The black dude from Gladiator. I wish I remembered his name right now. Uh, Jimon Hunsu. Yeah, he's great in it. He plays um, Ray Fiennes' manservant, who's also obviously a kick-asser. Jimma uh, Arterton, good in it also. There are some major surprises in the third act that you wouldn't necessarily be expecting from a film with such lightness as this. But the thing that it made, made me realize was a couple of things. First of all, not every film needs to be about absolutely everything. This is just a film having fun. And I'm not going into a pendulum swinging back rant, but people used to make movies like this all the time. Just a big boisterous adventure. It like 
the first the first Kingsman movies are kind of like wannabe James Bond movies. This owes more to colonial fiction because it's just globe trotting and the Brits saving everything. And I get it; people might have their issues. That's with accurate, that. historically accurate. You mean? But then the other thing is films that want to engage in like all out action these days. The only one I can think of off the top of my head is probably the John Wick franchise, for example, after the first one. Yeah, after the first John Wick franchise, they are so afraid of like leaning into like an action story that everything just has to be glib and silly and there's no sincerity to it. Whereas this, Andy, if you trust my taste in any way, <laughs> okay. I please give this a watch because I think I'll you would actually maybe. I think you would actually have a lot of fun with it. It's silly, but it takes itself seriously. It's I, I think it's absolutely great. I had such a good time with it. And it led me on to the other thing I watched the, the night following that. The second movie produced by the director of uh, The King's Man, I, I rewatched Snatch. Mm. Third movie produced by him. What is your memory of Snatch? I've seen it so many times. I've seen it at least 10 times, I would say. Because it came out when I was at university. And I remember being... It came out I when remember, I was 12. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, I remember walking through the streets of Newcastle with a bunch of friends drunk doing the like the Irish traveler voice. Uh, and um, I don't know how I'm managing not to get punched to fuck, which clearly is what should have happened. But um, no, I mean, I've always liked that film. I haven't seen it for a while. But uh, I imagine it's still very fun and breezy. I imagine it fucking shoots along pretty fast. It runs about two hours, does it not? It's maybe a so, little less. A little less. It's so fun. It's so fun. Please, people, start having fun making movies again. <laughs> this is your this is your plea after watching these two films. Is like, why can't films just be fun again? Because you know why? Because we need to watch the Marvels instead. Uh, I that's almost actual. I almost do want to watch it, but I'm not. <laughs> I heard I don't that's actually the... fun as well. I've heard it's fun too. Yes, <laughs> so maybe. But but I don't have time for that. Uh, I yeah. would just <laughs> snatch is so fun. I don't even know is Brad Pitt's accent as good as I remembered it to be. But in general, the film itself has so many funny moments, and that like I I also think in the same way as um the counterculture arrived to music before. A film in the 60s and 70s. This in turn, like Guy Ritchie basically brought Brit Cool from Brit Pop to, to cinema in the early 2000s with those two movies. Like th- those were, I think they've, they colored British cinema for at least a decade oh, afterwards. Oh yeah, definitely. That, that, that sort of pattern. And they're great fun. And like Jason Statham became a huge star out of it. Stephen Graham too. But you know who, like Bricktop, whatever happened to the guy who fucking Alan played Ford. Bricktop? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he's dead, is he not? I think he died of cancer. No idea. Iconic in the role, though. Fucking iconic. Let's, let's find out. No, he's still alive. He's in his 90s. No, he's 85. Uh, he didn't really do that much afterwards. He was in uh, Exorcist, the beginning. Cognies versus Zombies. Strippers versus Werewolves. He was doing a lot of versus work there. He was in Toast of London for an episode. Good that. He's, he was in The Bill. Sounds about right. Multiple times. Yeah, it's pretty good. Living his life. Anyway, that's all I got to say about that. Obviously, so those guys, two... check out Snatch. <clears throat> yeah, do check out Snatch and also check, check out, out The King's Man. But don't check out Snatch before you check out Broadcast News. Just Google Snatch and go to images and try that. So can we just from the outset say, yeah, at last, after 
you know, so many weeks trying. We've had a, a double five star week. Can we agree on that? I don't know if I go five stars on broadcast news. What you great. cocksucker! I think it's, this is not a knock against Michael Rice and his favorite film. I just oh, think. Wow. I like broadcast news. I think it's a very solid romantic comedy. But okay, we've got two films that are touching on the same subject matter, but for completely different reasons. No, no, no. I disagree. Well, oh, sorry, sorry, I sorry, disagree. sorry, sorry. One Sorry, of them okay. is one of them is all about this media problem of the dumbing down of media. Mm-hmm. And the other one is just a love triangle, romantic comedy, three clearly defined characters who are working off of each other. And in the background, somewhere in the sort of mid to far background, there's this whole kind of like, you know, TV news is going down the shitter. There's buyouts. People are losing their jobs. They're mm. manufacturing the news. There's polarization, et cetera, et cetera. See, I would say that, okay, obviously they both touch on the news media as their central subject, so to speak. But certainly, I, not even the subtext, I would say that both films are talking about fundamentally different things. They've got the news media at their center either way. Now, to be fair... As you just mentioned, I wouldn't say it's in the medium to far background. I'd say it's quite close to the foreground in broadcast news, the point that they're trying to make. I just think they're trying to make it in a different way. But I also think as a major subject, broadcast news wants to talk about people and work. Yes, I agree with that. And how they relate to one another. And you know what the the savagely (laughs) difficult thing to take in broadcast news is you recognize all three of the characters at the center of it. So I'm talking about uh, Albert Brooks's Aaron, Holly Hunter's Jane, and uh, William Hurt's Tom. You recognize them all. And here's the thing. I'm sorry, but this is kind of a movie for men. And this is for men. <laughs> this is day seven. <laughs> and and uh, no, no, no. And that is... That is saying, you know, there's also a huge uh, point to make about Holly Hunter's character, who is strong, feisty, the best character in the movie, definitely. Definitely. The most interesting. And also decidedly feminine. She is a feminine character and she is strong for being feminine. But it is still a movie for men because you're watching it going, every man who's watching it is Aaron and they're watching it going, why doesn't Jane get me? Because I know Ugh, all the I all hate the that so much though. all the fucking toms in the world are not watching <laughs> movies. They don't watch movies. But I hate not... the Aaron character so much. Yes, I agree with you one hundred percent. It's the fucking Uber cock of. I mean, that seems like Albert Brooks's shtick of the time. Taxi Driver has a very. I mean, he's almost playing the same character. Yes, from my yes, memory, yes. I haven't watched Taxi Driver in a while, but. I can be clear. That's all I remember is is Albert Brooks being around, going, you know, talking to like Sybil Shepherd, going, you know, like, oh, who, who are you going on a date with this week? The in- insane taxi driver man. Why aren't you going out with me? We're great friends. I get you, <laughs> and I'm funny. To be fair, well. he's up against in this movie who would have been Richard Gere's closest rival for heartthrob of the eighties. That's mad to me. I, I, I that was a question I wrote down is. Is William Hurt hot? Well, he certainly. So this you're catching him about five years after his hot period here. Mm. He was in Body Maybe Heat. Maybe it's the hair. Got his willy out. Mm. Apparently, he was very popular. Popular willy. 
William hurt people, hurt people. Well, yeah, I mean, we'll come to that. Is Willie hurt something? Yeah. Willie won't hurt anything anymore because he's Thank a friend God. of the show. Friend of the and show. An enemy of the show, I would say. Enough stories no. have turned up to say... Uh, he's a bad guy. Yeah, yeah he's, he's not great. But a cracking performance here. Indeed. Um, so you, what held you? What would hold you back from saying this is a five star movie? Because I'll tell you what. It's because I'll tell you what. Because what? I'm comparing it against Network, and Network, okay. Network has way more depth as far as I'm concerned. But this is like I said, they're not trying to do the same thing. I'm putting broadcast news up against Network, and I prefer Network. That's the problem. Is I watch them in the same week, and I just think Network is a stronger film that will last forever, but for a different reason. The wild thing is, is when watching Network this week, I got into it, having not seen it in years, just thinking, I bet this is a kind of a angry young man movie that I loved when I was younger. And it turns out it's way better than I even remembered. Yeah, <laughs> like, we it, it, like, we'll get to it. And yeah, I have yeah, yeah, plenty well. to say about Network. But uh, I was expecting to, uh, because I, I, I think I've watched broadcast news like twice in the last five years. I haven't seen network in years. So I was expecting to, uh, my memory was fonder of broadcast news. And I love, I loved broadcast news this time around, but I, I, I it, it network edged it for me. But at the same time, I would like to hear, I think, I think broadcast news is a, is a perfect film. Like I, I think it's, well, okay. It might be a little bit uneven with the Joan Cusack stuff. Now that I think about it, but, What's wrong with it, Joan Cusack? You don't like her. She's a tiny bit too goofy for me. I also thought the she's um, a bit broad. Yeah. I also thought the uh, the opening was a little bit goofy. Not a big fan of the opening. Oh, you like? See, I like those parts. I like the I like the opening with the the three characters in their childhoods. It's a it's a bit cartoonish. It's not very serious. It's almost but then, John Hughes like. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you've got the epilogue seven years later part as well oh no i love that you like you're, you're on board with that you just don't like the kid version i guess what they do with the kid thing is going like these characters were you know destined to be like this since they were young children they're i know what it's, they're it's, doing. i know but it's hard i know i do agree that it's a bit false to see like a child it's like if you watched like a I don't know a child version of some genius and they're they're yeah, already yeah, yeah, yeah. acting you know exactly the same way. So you mentioned the uh, the postscript of the movie. I think the postscript of the movie is one of the more effective versions I've ever seen of characters aging slightly and getting beyond that part of their life because I think it really draws yeah. into fo to focus what the whole movie is about. And the whole movie is about these three characters at this certain intense moment in their life. I had it maybe uh, when I worked in a restaurant for two years, maybe in this English language school for a few years. You have these intense work relationships that seems like everything and anything. And then when you see the people years later, it just yeah, kind like, of... What the fuck were we on? Kind of, yeah. And you I just think, move on. Yeah. You, like you said, you just, it's natural. You move on with your life. And I think uh, broadcast news, it's interesting because journalism makes a perfect subject for that kind of thing because journalism is a profession that's tied up in ethics. So you get to examine the ethics of what you were like at this age versus that age. There's not many ethics involved in restaurant management, for example. So their career works very well for this examination of age and the focus you put on your career and are you putting enough focus on your life and like how important is a career anyway 
And that comes to a really, really nice cataclysm with the Holly Hunter's confrontation of William Hurt in the airport near the end, which is really good. And it's a nice victory for Albert, Albert Brooks. And also, it's very nice to see Albert Brooks. I'm talking about the postscript again now, having had two kids and settled down away from, you know, that fire of youth and just get, he moved get, to Portland. Yeah, That's yeah. going to end well. Getting to be happy in the end. I suppose it's nice. It's nice that he gets <clears> to be happy. It does seem to get to be happy anyway. I watched the Criterion Blu-ray and they filmed uh, two endings. I did not know this. Go on. There is Well, I, maybe when we talk about the plot, when we get to the end, I'll tell you why it was. Okay. Shall we talk plot? Yeah, why not? Okay, so we're introduced to these three characters. Albert Brooks's Aaron, Holly Hunter's Jane, and... Um, William Hurt's Tom, and they're all, they've all got fire in their bellies to uh, become journalists. TV journalists says that it would happen. Jane gets to be somewhat slightly successful and is giving a lecture at some place sometime. And William hmm. Hurt happens to be in the audience and approaches her afterwards and tells, tells her he th- thought she was absolutely brilliant. They almost have sex. And then it turns out that uh, he, he's, in fact, go- they don't have sex. And he's, in fact, going to be going working at her office. So then we jump over to her office and she's great friends with um, Albert Brooks's character, Aaron. I must uh, put a pause here and say, have you ever had a thing like that? Like what? Where you're just friends with a lady and you love the lady, clearly? No, maybe, but I've always tried to avoid being Albert Brooks. That's how I've lived my life, is don't be Albert Brooks, just in general. I've been Albert Brooks, though. He's good at playing like this sort of bitter, cynical, smart arse. So me and enemy... Obviously, I'm nothing like that, me personally. That's gonna. I'm nothing like that, so... Me and enemy... identify. Sorry, go ahead. Me and enemy of the show, John Spillane, and enemy of the show, uh, Mike Rice, and... um, and I, I said me already, I know, but whatever. <laughs> this is a lot. You're involved there. I was a involved lot. twice. We did a movie club during um, COVID broadcast news. We watched over one fortnight. And the, yeah, he just saw Albert Brooks's character as the absolute cipher, greatest character ever. Like really, really engaged. Who did? With Mike Rice did. Did, okay. And I butted heads with him a little bit because I said, He's he's a he's kind of pathetic. I'm not like, and I was not all on. Obviously, John, enemy of the show, John Spillane came in all pathetic and said, "But isn't Holly Hunter the real best character?" And it's like, yeah, obviously she's Princess Peach. <laughs> I mean, that's it's Luigi versus Mario. Are you Luigi or Mario? But I I did always feel like that about the Albert Brooks character. But at the same time, I feel like I relate to him more than Tom, and that's kind of where the pathos of the the viewing experience is is because you're watching it going i'm albert brooks we should you've skipped over the the intros to the three characters because as children what we see is like tom is crap at school basically yes okay he's, right, he's, right. He's, well he's working hard but he's getting c's and then it's it cuts so it cuts to the end going like you know thank god you're Thank God you look good or whatever. So he ends up as like a TV news anchor guy or like a newsreader guy. Yeah, yeah. And Albert he's, Brooks he's, is like an arsehole. Pretty much. <laughs> he's just, he's like. This is the, his is the funniest prequel though. Yeah, yeah. Because he's telling, he's telling all the like school bullies, you're not you'll never going to to anything. And it says, you'll never make more than $20,000 a year. And one of the bullies yeah, goes, like, right, $20,000. I'm fucking rich. 
<laughs> and That's Albert Brooks has gone like, I'm going to see the world and you're never going to leave. And they're like, whatever. And yeah, then Holly yeah. Hunter is like obsessed. She's on her typewriter. And then she Writing goes to her dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her dad says like, you know, come on, it's time to go to bed. And she's like, obsessed. I love the segments of the movie where she just suddenly is crying on her own. I think those are really yeah. fun. Just... She's so good. I think this is the best thing I've ever seen her in. Oh, she's fantastic. This is her career role. I don't remember sure. the piano. I mean, I've seen it years and years ago. Raising Arizona, obviously great. But like this is, I think she's doing something much harder here. Yeah. She, she's, well, she's funny, but she's, I mean, she's real. She's like showing off. She's got like, she's got range here. Yeah. And she also talks out of the side of her mouth, which is impressive. She cries a few times. She does. Anyway, they all end up working together in this uh, uh, same spot. Then uh, herself and Aaron go off to some war zone. They catch some great footage. Jack Nicholson, who's the head anchor, who's great casting. I don't know. I can't buy him as a news anchor just because he looks so... Jack Nicholson. He's, yeah, because you're like, why are you, why are you reading the See, news? I, I think that's the point of it. I know that's obviously the point of it. I'm not that clever to have figured that Isn't out. Isn't the point the... just that he's like friends with James L. Brooks? So they're like, yeah, we'll get Jack in. Well, is he friends with James L. Brooks? I don't know. Didn't they work on like Terms of Endearment or? Oh, yeah, he's in Terms of previous, Endearment. Previous uh, other James L. Brooks stuff. Fair enough. But I mean, I, I just think the fact that he's Jack Nicholson and that famous and iconic works to be a national news anchor in America. I think that's he's yeah, like, we can, like we we can buy it as audience yeah, yeah. members. Sure. But it's just something about his like his weird facial expressions. I'm going like that's not he, he has he has barely like a five percent of one line in the movie. He says nothing and he's just being Jack Nicholson all the time. Sure. It's, it's 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 odd it's being himself. Uh, yeah, anyway, he's a big fan of the footage. And um, then next thing, there's some big news party at a, a news person's house. And we find out that Libya have bombed an American air base in America, in uh, Italy, Sicily, yeah. in Sicily. And they're like, oh, God, we got a report on this. And they say, OK, Jane, you go and you executive produce it. And Tom, you go with it. And uh, Aaron's very upset about this, obviously. He goes back to his apartment Finally, a realistic-looking New York apartment, I would say, and drinks. Uh, Still pretty se- good. Several. Uh, also, they're in Washington D.C. Uh, sorry, D.C. Yeah, the New York is the the later move. Drinks several massive gin and tonics, and just gin. Actually, it just seems like gin. He's just drinking. That's gin. how I was. I thought it was like vodka and orange or something. Well, it looks strong. It, <laughs> he is yeah. just yeah. He, he's doing it. And he's like mixing it with his finger, and yeah, he's getting yeah. smashed. You, he's singing along to like a French song. Yeah, I feel like yeah, he's yeah. constantly showing off. Like I know foreign languages. I know stuff. I know things. I, but I, but I, I, but I think that it's a good drinking scene. As you know, I've attacked drinking scenes in. Re- yeah, in, uh, it feels real. Movies. It feels real. Yeah. I, I'll give you that. Definitely. A lot of the time, you'll just have. Uh, like what was the one? Oh yeah, like in Sound of Freedom with that guy just drinking iced tea or whatever. <laughs> uh, like, uh, uh, I yeah, I like a, a drinking scene where it's done realistically. Anyway, he phones Jane in with information about Libya to feed into Tom's ear, and the whole thing works very well. And the producers are like, "You guys are dynamite. You've got a," and that kind of fuels a sort of a the attraction that was already ongoing between Tom and Jane earlier in the movie. So then, as that is ongoing their their mutual attraction it, will they won't they whatever obviously Aaron's in turmoil and then she 
gets invited to the correspondence dinner and invites Tom along and says, why, oh, don't, yeah. you, why don't you uh, come with me? And they, they decide they're going together, completely heartlessly ignoring the fact that Aaron is in love with her. But whatever. Anyway, so he gets his big chance to read the news. He sweats it out like Richard Nixon in the Kennedy debate. It's a disaster. And she comes back and meets him. She sabotages a night of hot, hot sex and shagging sex- sessions with uh, Tom in order to go be with her friend Aaron. And then she's going to leave and go back with Tom. And he has the big confrontation. He says to her, no, look, you can't go back with him. He's the devil. Oh, backtrack. He made his big name because he went out and did this report on date rape. <laughs> date rape, which Albert Brooks, when he sees the tape of date rape, when he sees the story, he's like, oh, yeah, great. That's great. That's a no. worthwhile story. He's no. like, well done. That you've, you've made a, You've done a story about dating. That's great. No. He completely downplays date rape. He does. No, 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 Don't get me wrong. The second part of what he says is absolutely that. I can't remember what he says. It goes uh, <laughs> there. That's that Did he the... just make a, a headline out of getting nookie? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Exactly. He has like one line where he's just like, date rape? I don't think so. Yeah. So when Tom pursues that particular story and moves all the women in the station, what Albert Brooks initially reacts against is the fact that it cuts to Tom crying and he's making the story about himself. The later line, oh, making a headline out of Nookie is is definitely Yeah, that that's that's what he feels. <laughs> that's his like that's his little ending line before he leaves. But yeah, fair point. He's like he's the yeah. first person. He's he's just asking questions. Albert Brooks is just out here asking questions. But that Why line did make me draw crying? breath. <laughs> that uh, that that line did make me draw breath. I was like, hey, that, Whoa, that's geez. that's just like a real 1987 line. Yeah, 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 hundred percent, hundred percent. The but idea does, that but the it, idea that, also that feeds into that feeds into what you were saying of like this is a film for men. <laughs> yeah, maybe the idea that date rape was a risky story is just wild to think about. It's similar to like that the scene from Anchorman where they talk where he says like. The the new uh, craze that's sweeping the nation, yogging. I think it's pronounced yogging. <laughs> uh, it's it's like that, except with rape. Anyway, yeah. So Albert Brooks is having his argument with Jane and just saying, "Look, you can't go and be with Tom because he's the devil, and you fucking know he's the devil, and whatever." Then I'm jumping around chronology, but the next logical thing to to matter is the fact that the the station is getting downsized and they're all going to lose their jobs. Tom is sent off to London, which means he's going to get groomed to be the next Jack Nicholson. Albert Brooks doesn't take it. He'll say, he said, Aaron says, no, I'm I'm not going to, you know, do your little dance. I'll go uh, work in Oregon. And Jane gets her old boss's uh, role. So she's going to be in charge of the station. Loads of other people get shit canned. And then just before... Including Joan Cusack, your favorite. Including Joan Cusack. And just before they're going, Tom suggests to Jane, how about we go to an island somewhere and see does this work outside of work? Uh, Can we do smoochy boochy sexy stuff and make it work? And Jane is going, God, I hope so, because you're, you know, number two behind Richard Gere in the 1980s and we're still technically in the the 80s, so I would like to jump your bones. Uh, But then Aaron says to her, because he just he did a Colombo a few minutes earlier. He goes, uh, uh, "Tell me one more thing. Um, how many camera crews did you have on the date rape thing?" And he's like, "Oh, just one." Is like, so then he says that to to her, and he's like, "Track it down." I thought it was the right thing to do. I thought I should have told you. And to be honest, to be fair to Aaron, you know what? 
during the scenes where he's confronting her, he is saying, look, I'm going to separate the part of me, which is very difficult to do. I'm going to separate the part of me that's in love with you from the part of me that's your friend and just, you know, talk at you that way. And he does manage to do that but clearly because he, he gets married and has kids and, you know, he's able to move away from that part of youth. But he's also able to say to your one in a perfectly reasonable sense, look, he did this. And I'm pretty sure I'm right to have told you this because I'm pretty sure this would bother you. And it does. It really does bother her. And it's actually fantastic acting from um, William Hurt in that scene where we see a cutback on VHS to that scene we'd seen earlier where yeah. during the dead rape interview and he it was cut to him crying. And we hear a producer say, it would have been great if we'd gotten you crying. And he says, well, wait a second. And he goes to do it again. And at the airport, you just get that complete de- deviation from him just going, yeah, look, I don't give a fuck. I'll just <laughs> I'll just do what I got to do, basically. And her is saying, no, journalistic ethics, go fuck yourself. And that's this, the is where the ulti- this is where the alternate ending kicks in. In the theatrical cut, in the final cut of the film, she gets into a taxi and then... Because every time she gets into a taxi, normally she's like, okay, take this street and then this way it's faster, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But this time she's like, you know what? Whatever. It doesn't matter. And then she says to the guy, finally, no, but if you take this road, it'll be faster. Yeah, yeah. that's the real so ending. In this in this ending, she gets into the taxi and then William Hurt gets into the taxi just afterwards. So he's fucked off the flight and he just, he shouts at her as well. He's like, I'm, I'm going to fight for you. But he's like really fierce with it. So they're kind of like screaming at each other, but it seems that they're going to stay together. At the end, I like the, taxi to, yeah, I know, I know the, the actual ending is way better, definitely. Because as I mentioned, the thing that the actual ending passes so nicely is the fact that you see these people meet up seven years after the events of the movie and they've all completely moved on from the events yeah. of the movie and they're all right with it because that's yeah. fucking how life is. Like, sure. it's like, it's you just like, keep going exactly. It's like if you saw, do you know what? He doesn't listen to it. It's like if you ran into Chris Groves tomorrow, you know what I mean? It would just be like, hey, Chris Groves, how are you doing? Yeah, I'd see him every year or so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I see it. It's just like, all right, man. All right, guy. And like, <laughs> and uh, years ago, you guys were more intensely involved in one another's life, but it doesn't really yeah, matter anymore. We were because at a it... sexual relationship. Yeah, exactly. You kissed each other on the mouth mm. and stuff. But yeah, it does capture that essence of, I think, what the movie is really about. The movie gets to make a point about news and journalism in general. But I think it's really about just people's 20s slash early 30s and that intensity of that professional period. And then when you meet up with people years later and figure out what matters and it turns out none of that shit before actually mattered at all. And you're just a bunch of old people now. I think this would work with some other... I I don't think it has to be news. I think it could work in... Other industries or... Yeah, but I mean, I, it has to be something I, I, I that involves think, ethics. I, yeah, exactly, yes. exactly. It, it could it, be anything that with a, with some ethical problem. You know, they yeah, could be doctors or something. Yeah, animal testers. And it's like in the last scene of the movie, the Aaron character says, look, he fingered the monkey after he gave yeah. him the pills. Why he do you did. think the monkey suddenly that's, got better? That's why the monkey was smiling, because he's he taking placebos. Up. He stuck his finger in his bum and he knew mm-hmm. it was a gay monkey. And then uh, Jane confronts 
Tom with the you fingered the monkey. I've seen the tape. I've seen the tape. You fingering that monkey. Anyway, it is great though. It is a great movie. It's a solid film. I enjoyed it. I think I'm gonna give it four stars. You I'm only going four stars. <laughs> That's an eight out of ten. You know, it's like IMDB rating is seven point two or something like that. I'm giving it eight. I'm putting it point eight up on its IMDB. You're so, this is a five star movie. You're a wank stain. No way. That's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, okay, this is a I think this film has sort of fallen away. I think I mean that's sad. Yeah, it's people sad don't remember it. People don't watch it. I don't think it's trapped in the 80s at all. Like I don't no. I don't think either of these films are trapped in their time period. I like watching them both this week. No, I was like, wow, I they, don't. They're there I some of the points that they're making are relevant today, almost more relevant today. Network is more relevant today than Definitely. when it came out. De- I mean network certainly, but I mean this also has a few things to say that yeah, I mean it's got things to say about people that are still relevant. But, yeah. but there, there, there's, I suppose the like, there's some inventiveness with the structure uh, in this, particularly uh, the way they handle that jump forward at the end is just like look time passed. But I think the interaction between the characters is so pleasantly real, matched up with the fact that rather than like it being a Shane Meadows film, it, it's James L. Brooks with his very nice scripting, Bill Conti's very nice score, and a cast of you know very watchable people that like, the way they interact with each other the, like the fact that Aaron and like Aaron never really confronts uh, Tom because he likes him yeah they do they seem to like they don't each hate other. each other mm. well Aaron sort of uses him yeah that's true well that's the thing is like um, it's it, everybody in those professions had try to has their cake and eat it Fair. like really like it's like you want your integrity but you also want your success and renown you know it's like you know every historian claims to condemn violence while writing books about war hoping they sell a lot you know and it's the exact same with which with journalism which is a profound point that i just made if anybody's listening that's very good this film was quite successful it cost 15 yes. and it made 67 it made more than network it cost a lot more than network but still I wonder why it costs so much. Yeah, uh, all the went actors? to Nicholson. All for Nicholson's hard <laughs> Probably work. Probably all went to Nicholson, to be fair. Uh, I was actually looking at photos of uh, Nicholson this week. He looks exactly like you'd hope Nicholson would look in 2023. <laughs> he must be very close to death at this point. Just a big fat guy He's standing on a balcony on. going, what's going I imagine on? he looks like Brando now. He does have a, an air of the Brandos about him, to be honest. Yeah, there is not many interesting things to say about many people in this movie. Jack Nicholson has a million stories behind him. We've told him. We've talked about Jack Nicholson a couple of times at least. Exactly, exactly. Albert Brooks, genuinely, much like his own character, just uh, ends up uh, marrying out of the spotlight. His acting and voice acting roles are just outrageous i'm kind like, of surprised he didn't do more yeah i mean he's done a lot he has a lot of i feel like he has big breaks in between stuff or he didn't work that That's much true. i feel like he could have worked a lot more but he did also he did a lot of weird stuff as well like like he was the baddie in drive that's right yeah yeah he's really good actually yeah, he really was good, good but he was yeah. yeah he's like terrifying but it's just weird to think that he's in he i love you daddy uh the louis ck cancelled movie He's oh. the dad in Finding Nemo. Yeah. 
played himself in an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm I watched recently. Yeah, he's a good boy. Uh, man, Taxi Driver was his first movie. Who knows? Yes, it's a while ago. Yeah, indeed. That was anyway, the same he... year as uh, Networks, 1976. So he just settled down and uh, married this lady called Kimberly Shane. Uh, and that, that that's about as much as there is to say about Albert Brooks. And oh, it's indeed. a similar enough story with um, Holly Hunter, his co-lead. She just uh, sort of got along with life a little bit. Uh, nothing crazy controversial. She did share the screen with a Bond girl and uh, one Tom Burke. Is that his name? Is that uh, Tom's second name? No, Tom Grunick is his second name. She won uh, Tom Grunick off a of Bond girl. Did you know this? Lois yeah, Child. Holly Goodhead, right? Yeah, that's right. Holly Goodhead from yeah, yeah, Spy yeah. Who Loved Me. No, Wasn't not Spy it... Who Loved Me, um, Moonraker. So there we go, Holly Goodhead. Uh, that's about uh, all we have. The only... As again, I, I shy away from bringing up stuff like this, be it idle gossip, but it appears that a total of four women throughout his life reported um, William Hurt to be a, a cokehead physical abuser. So have we talked? To, I feel like we've talked about William Hurt before, have we? I don't know. Or did I just read about him in my free time? Well, not sure. I read about him in my free time this week. <laughs> no, I don't think um, we have talked about any William Hurt films. I read a few of the articles. Yeah, he does seem to have been a a, a man of the 60s, so to speak. Just uh, grew up with that. Uh, by the way, I mean that in a very evil hippie variety way. Just seems to have um, bullied women into uh, doing things sexually that they didn't want to do. There's a lot of reports of that. Persistent cocaine abuse, which is always a sign of a nice guy. Pilot, which, you know, I mean, whatever. And he had a house in Paris. But there are four fairly compelling accounts that he was up for physically abusing women. I read yeah. the one from uh, the lady last year who dated him in like yeah, around in yeah, like yeah. 1977 to 1980. Yeah. That one is awful because he is, yeah. oh, like held her and like basically punched and kicked her. And, you know, he was not a good man. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, she said uh, he, he raped her as well. Uh, so it, I don't know. It's just um. Well, the guy's dead. So yeah, yeah. So uh, fuck, fuck him. him. Yeah, <laughs> he's fuck not him. a friend of the show. He's a, de- he's a dead he's guy a who's not a, a friend. A friend of the show at all. He's gone. Um, but there you go with broadcast news. I was expecting to enjoy it more this week than network. But honestly, network much like, and I would prefer network to this movie, but much like something like Clockwork Orange just changes depending on the age you watch it at. And Network, I had previously figured it to be, probably in reflection of more recent times when I actually watched The Clockwork Orange, I'd figured it to be like an angry young guy movie. But uh, it turns out some guy called Paddy Chesky was much cleverer than I gave him credit for. And I actually just think uh, far better, far funnier than uh, I had thought previously. I'm very happy to have seen it this week. Absolutely. Did you read how he got his nickname Paddy? No. His real name was Sidney Aaron Chayefsky. He was like a New York Jew. But he got the name Paddy in World War II because he tried to get out of kitchen duty saying that he had to go to mass. And his CEO was like, sure you do, Paddy. Sure you oh, do. Oh, I have read this, actually. <laughs> I think I did, on a different... solid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I just always... I read... I remember for years reading his name. Because he's a like, Russian Jew, Paddy, right? 
Chay- I was like, Paddy Chayevsky, how the how does that work? Have Do you, you seen the name anything Paddy else he's done besides uh, Network? I think I might. I mean, the other things he won Oscars for were Marty in the Hospital. I didn't watch either of those. Oh, I know what I have watched featuring, um, starring William Hurt, Altered States. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he did. Which a, I did not care for at all. No, you but, did not. No, but I feel like that might have been towards the end of Paddy Chayefsky's run because, uh, you know, Marty was 1955. Yeah, he was I dead. mean, he, he was, was working, he was working a long time in, in Hollywood. Not in 1958, but he was dead at the age of 58 in the 80s. It's a strange one because getting back to uh, Network now, there are films that I can think of that are kind of like Network. Uh, this is it's such a critical cliche, but things are cliches for a reason, I suppose. There is nothing really like it, though, is there? The first because time I it's heard It's a satire, of... but it's not. It's not it's it's only funny in hindsight. Like you laugh about it when you're thinking about it. You don't laugh at it when you're watching it, really. The first time I really remember hearing about Network was on the Magnolia DVD. There was like a making of documentary. Have you watched that? Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, because he talks about I remember that moment. I think it's called that moment. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, because I remember at one point when Paul Thomas Anderson is trying to explain to like a bunch of guys that he's working with. Oh, what, the, what, what the game show scene. Yeah, what vibe he's going for yes. with like the, yeah, with that. Um, yeah, what and kids he, know. And, he, and um, yeah, and I remember he's like explaining, he's like, like, I want you to watch Network. I want you to watch this, this, this and Network. And then he's like, I think Paddy Chayefsky won the Oscar and da, da, da. And he's. He kind of like has a few things about it, but that was when it really stuck out to me. I remember for me, I remember it was um, there was this YouTube clip back in the day before those took over the world that me and my mate Aina used to recite, which was something like 40 inspirational speeches in two minutes. And it would I'm pretty sure you can still find this out there. I'll actually send it to you and try and include it in the show notes. It's really fun to watch. And it's just I, I don't know what score they pick. I probably could identify it now, but it's been years since I watched it. And they stitched together different parts of every movie. And I, w- I was able to name most of them. And then Is, it, is them, it like, life is a game of inches? There, that's part, of the, but not that part. Of, like, how does it? I, I bet I could. Oh, the most inspirational. I, I, I definitely give it. Give, what was, what a, were some of the films? Can you remember the films? Definitely can. Um Star Trek first contest, and the line must be drawn here. This far, no further. Victory or death from Galaxy Quest. Oh, God. But it is not this day. The line must be drawn here. I bet I could. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. I'm literally going to do this. Hold on. Is it 40 inspirational speeches in two minutes? Oh, yeah. Here we go. You ready for this shit? Go. Oh. oh, man. Th- this this used to crush for me and Anna at house parties in... The University of Limerick. You're 100% going to get adverse here. Will you fight? No way. I don't believe it. We will run. And we will live. Shame on you. This could be the greatest night of our lives. But you're going to let it be the worst. And I said John Belushi. Go buying your life. You won't regret walking out, letting them get That's Rudy. Well, I'm not going home. Got too far, and I'm gonna oh stay God. right here and fight for this lost cause. A day may come when the courage of men fails, but it is not this day. The line must be drawn. Oh my God, you've seen it so many times. I'm not saying it's gonna be easy, 
You're gonna work harder, harder than, than you've, you've ever worked, worked before. before. But that's fine, we'll just get tougher with it. Pressing Chris's teeth and shows real determination. Failure is not an option. That's how winning is done. Believe me when I say we can break this army here. And we just won for the Gipper. I say to you, what every warrior has known since the beginning of time. You've got to get mad! I mean plum mad dog mean. If you want to be free men, then you must fight to fulfill that promise. Let us cut, cut out their living guts one inch at a time. And they will know what we can do! Let no man forget how menacing we are. We, we are, are lions. lions! You're like a big bear, man. This is your time. Seize the day. Never surrender. Victory or death. Bitch, they should back away. Who's with me? Clap! Clap! Don't let him die! Clap! All right, let's fly! And gentlemen in England, now our bed. Oh, no! My name is the Lord! But I tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our Independence Day! <laughs> if they remade the film broadcast news today that is what albert briggs's character would be doing he would be sitting reciting <laughs> sitting reciting a youtube video yeah, of inspirational quotes <laughs> to be fair now, in defense of Anna Lynch, that lad used to get a lot more sneers than I did. Now, that, that, that was probably me uh, uh, front-loading <laughs> that save. But uh, did you not enjoy that? Uh, it, was, it was very well edited. It was very good. Anyway, so th- this was that came out years before things like that were a thing. Right, um, right, right. Yeah, I mean, that seems old. That is old, old school. But I, I remember seeing the um, Howard Beale speech, the Peter Finch bit, and going, because I could in- identify every movie in it, but I was like, what's that? And the guy who was just, you know, perpetually sitting in our sitting room smoking weed said, oh, it's network. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is that? And I tracked it down, and we were blown away by it. But we were blown away by it in an angry young men kind of way. <laughs> and at the time, I was quite into 70s cinema. I did think certain parts of it were like were like I, I remember thinking Faye Dunaway was incredible in it. I still think she is incredible and I think it is a great performance. But I never realized until now reading a bit of the book you sent me, but also learning more about Paddy Chevsky, is that it's the William Holden character that's the center of the movie actually. It's about him. And about yeah. like, he's the <laughs> cipher, is that the word? He's the the stand-in for Chayefsky in, in the film. Yeah, when you because like when it cuts back to him dating Faye Dunaway. Yeah, that's, was, the, that, that, that's, that's the that meaning is of the movie. Mad. Yeah, because that is kind of mad where you're you're watching it going like, is this what we should be focusing on? Because it feels like this is not the it's not the most important thing, but clearly it is. Like it's part of what they're what. You well, know, no, it, it's certainly because the thing is, as a young man, as like I think this is on record on this podcast actually. I think the last time, and I'll bring it up again, the last time I watched Clockwork Orange, I finally fucking got Clockwork Orange because I got that, whether or not this is what he intended, I thought that this is one of the things that was so great about the movie is that watching it as a young idiot, I watched it like a young idiot and went, oh, look at these fucking young idiots. Then you got older and a bit more self-conscious and you sort of went, uh, oh my God, this is fucking horrifying. This is the most horrifying thing ever. 
And then it got older again and you sort of realized, oh my God, Alex Wait is a minute, a- it was actually cool. I was right the first time. <laughs> no, but you're like they're actually cool. Alex is a child and every person that should be helping him and guiding yeah, him is, yeah, yeah. is absent in this society. Turns and that the system was wrong. Kind of, actually. And I, it actually takes a bit of maturity to see that in this film, in that film. And it takes a bit of maturity to have lived a little bit to be able to watch Network and not watch it like a dumb idiot and think Howard Beale is the hero because you're what what you 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 think Howard Beale is the hero still? No, no, I'm saying I just I don't know uh, I I guess it just seems so clear to me that he sells out his own principles straight away. Yeah, but what I I suppose what I'm saying is And yeah, uh, no, I don't think like some kind of truth watch, teller who's like I'm going to tell you how it really is. Yeah, yes, I don't yeah, give a yeah, shit yeah, about no, that. No, 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 but but I'm basically what I'm saying is you uh, young people including myself when I watched first time uh, first time watch the movie on a shallow level and probably only remember the speech and don't remember everything around it and what actually yeah, happens with Howard Beale. They don't remember the examination of the righteous indignation, uh, which the, the movie plays out on. Like the, And then it's it's when William Holden is dressing down Faye Dunno, uh, Dunaway near the end of the movie and he's just going, I'm a, I'm a person. Like, I, I just came back from my wife. I had this, I need, I need to be felt, I need to be seen. And that combined with, of all things, the people sit, sticking their heads out the windows and, and yelling, I'm as mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore. They reminded me, and obviously he didn't intend on this, but I can't help what it reminded me of. It's just so many fucking smartphones on the walls and people just yelling out of them. It reminded me of like, I don't know, the Black Lives Matter protests and everybody going at the same time with their black screen or or any other fad that passed across social media. And I just thought, apart from anything else, apart from what I thought the real meaning was of the movie in the end, how I'm not going to say depressingly prophetic, but definitely prophetic the film is in terms of how media has managed to capitalize on outrage and vice versa is insane to behold in 2023 it's a crazy movie to watch in 2023 part of the reason for that is because so many of the social conditions of the mid-70s have basically come back around and are 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 now we're at a similar point like i was reading a couple of papers about this because 74 is considered to be the real starting point of the polarization of u.s politics because in 90 you've you got that the 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 post-World War II period where things were a bit more sort of together and sure. they weren't fighting as much. But 73 was Roe versus Wade. 74 was Watergate. And then when Gerald Ford uh, was president, he pardons Nixon. 74 was also the desegregation bossing riots in Boston. The fuel shortages with the OPEC embargo, which is a response to the first Yom Kippur War in 1973. 75 is the end of the Vietnam War. So in 74, it's just winding The way you pronounce Yom Kippur War there was like a a Fremen in the Dune movie trying to not step with a rhythm in case they pick up a sandworm, but in your case of the internet. Yeah, yeah, sorry, that was just a observation there. But I know what you're saying. Yeah, it's like a lot of those, you know, a lot of that unrest, distrust in, in government. People are angry. It's a time that's ripe for populism. Mm. So I th- just think a lot of that has come back around. It's just, it's taken on a different form of media nowadays because there isn't, there, obviously there's no monoculture anymore. There's not 
no one gives a shit about a 30 share or a 40 share or whatever of 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 tv news media yeah because the vast majority like people are all in their little individual echo chambers so it's it's not the same it doesn't function in the same way but it has the same strength and power so i am um, i can't think of apart from maybe <laughs> no, no, no is there a there are movies cast as well as this but i can't think of anything cast better than this yeah, everyone's good. Everyone is very good, including Peter Finch, who I'd never... I don't think I've seen anything else that Peter Finch did. Me neither. And he did... I don't he, want to he, either. <laughs> I mean, he also died, like, very shortly after yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this very funny moment in the, the movie that I hadn't remembered before when he wakes up in the middle of the night and he's talking to himself. Uh, so he's... Uh, you know, obviously, you're supposed to think he's having a psychotic episode, but there's every chance that there's somebody sort of talking to him because the thing is, what he's saying really connects with people. And still, my favorite scene of the movie is when Ned Beatty confronts him in the boardroom. Yeah, that's for someone to be saying that stuff in 1976 is is wild because that yeah, feels like things thing. that came from the 90s or, that's or you thing. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To basically say, like, the world is not nation states, is corporations. It's stuff that now that if you say it to someone now, they're like, yeah, duh, obviously. But, like, that must have blown people's minds back then. Or they must have, I mean, it was satire at that point. They must have thought, like, well, I mean, that's obviously some nightmare future that we will never have to deal with. But, like, the thing is about his delivery in that, it's that whole... What's the name? Marshall McLuhan. It's the Marshall McLuhan thing. The medium is the message. And the message of what he's actually saying, it's actually, I don't think it would have been news in 1970. It certainly isn't news nowadays, which is that, you know, if you break down the messaging, it's that, look, international harmony is required. We've had enough wars. This is commerce is the way to do that. And so we're selling our assets to the Middle East, but so, thankfully that's all stopped now. So, 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 so that's that's what we need to do. But then, the medium is this Ned Beatty character. Jensen is his name, just getting terrifying in seconds, and then just reeling it back in, like the, when he's just screaming. It's it's scary. Like he scares Howard Beale stiff. And then Howard Beale goes back and he's just this depressive character and Jensen is happy to see him get uh, braided off the air. And uh, the McLuhan philosophy of the medium is the message. It's like, how are we taking this in is what it says about us, is, is his whole point. Like the medium is the message as, as a philosophy has never been more relevant than nowadays with smartphones, because it's, as you just mentioned, not five minutes ago, it's all an individual uh, echo chamber. Everybody has their own version of the world, whereas previously everybody had the version of the world that yeah, was defined by the, by, the, by the channel that they were watching. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But and then it, it transfers to, to again, w w particularly with media philosophy, it's not necessarily saying that people set out to expressed via this philosophy it's just a way of reading the world and the thing is what Chayefsky is very specifically trying to say despite the fact that the messaging might be I mean it's truisms what Jensen is saying the way he delivers it is terrifying it's scary he's put he's he brings him into a boardroom beforehand he tells him I'm a salesman I can sell anything I'm going to sell you something right now and proceeds to just be really kind of spooky, quite frankly. <laughs> the only film I can think of that's slightly like this is Putney Swope, 
in that it's just bizarre and it deals with the black comedy that is like the corporate boardroom business world writ large. Succession maybe also has a yeah, taste of I network guess. in it. Yeah. Do you want to hear about the plot? Should we talk oh, about I prob- the plot? I probably do want to hear about the plot, actually. So at the start of the film, we're introduced to Howard Beale. There's a narrator in, in uh, both films, isn't it? Yeah, not? that's right. A narrator I, in broadcast news? Yeah, there, there is, is a narrator. They, they talk about it in the, in the little prologue part. And uh, But who's the narrator? Who, who does the voice for the narrator in network? I can't think. The, it's, um, is it's, it William Holden? No, it's uh, Lee Richardson. He's a guy who worked a lot with um, Sidney Lumet. Ah, yeah. This is just testament to how big Jeffsky's uh, script is, that this is the first time we've mentioned Sidney Lumet, one of the greatest directors in Hollywood history. One of the greatest directors in, in Hollywood history, but I feel like he made too many films and a lot of them were not great. He made some of the best films of all time, but I think he made quite a lot of not great stuff and that has dragged down his like overall Probably, reputation yeah, yeah. compared to, you know, like major he, auteurs. He was he was what they would call like a jobbing director. Sure. But he did it great. I mean, he made some of the best films of all time. Verdict, 12 Angry Men, Network. Yeah. Uh, Serpico, Before Dog Day Afternoon. Those are dead. Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you're tired. He's not, uh, he's not a lightweight, shall we say. No, we're not shitting on Sidney Lumet. Let us be clear. So at the start of the film, we've got Peter Finch playing Howard Beale, who's this long-term uh, news anchor. He's been going for a long time. And his best friend in the news business is Max Schumacher, who's played by William Holden. William and at the Holden. start of the film, the two of them get absolutely wrecked because Schumacher is Beale's boss and he has to tell him that he's getting fired because... The, the ratings are bad, which is insane. I mean, that's, you know, this is the start of society's problems here with this is like the news has to be fun and and zippy and you need to win an audience share as opposed mm. to just like every channel. I was thinking about this. Whatever happened to just every channel having the news and just well, tell I us think the that, news? Why don't we all do the you, same You news? are kind of landing on the point of the film there. Well, I'm, it was effective. Let's say that. But, the, but I mean, everyone has done that now. It's a mad thing because I remember when that happened in the UK. I remember when they started doing things like having the newsreader standing and sitting on the desk at the front and people were like, what are you doing? Like, why are you copying this sitting trend from on the, the US? Yeah, like a very informal, relaxed, we're just, I'm just going to perch on the edge of the desk at the front and people God. pushed back against it. They were like, what are you doing? No, 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 no. I'm glad I remember one of the first times I went to the US, it blew my mind to hear someone reading the news and going like, they would say like something like, and he's wanted for, you know, multiple rapes. And then they turn to their co-anchor and go like, God, I hope they catch that man, Diane, because he's a real piece of work. You'd be like, what the fuck? Like, he's not, I mean, there hasn't been a court case or anything. I'm sure he's guilty, but like, you know, passing judgment on the news, like them making themselves the news, which... Again, is definitely touched on in the other film too, but yeah, yeah, indeed. Anyway, so Beal and Schumacher they go out on the piss because Beal's getting axed, he's getting shit-canned. As a result of this, on his his farewell show, he says that he's going to no wait his second to last show. He says he's going to kill himself on his farewell show, and people, uh, unsurprisingly, start worrying. 
This was mm. partially inspired by uh, a lady right. who shot herself. What was her name again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't think off the top of my head, but yeah, she shot Bergie herself. Bergie Barnes. And that was in the reason for the five-second delay. Her name was Christine Chubbuck. There's a film about Christine Chubbuck as well. There is. So this lady shot herself presumably before Network. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't like a copycat. By. She was like, that makes, this is a good idea. No. Her, her case was really rough, actually. She was 30 years old. She was a virgin, and she'd had one of her ovaries taken out. And she was God. like, I can't get a husband, and I can't have kids. So she shot herself on air. It's a horrible, horrible story. Horrible. But anyway, so yeah, that's part of the uh, the inspiration for the exploits of, uh, of Howard Beale in this film. So when Beale says he's going to shoot himself, it sets into motion a whole course of shenanigans behind the scenes, especially involving Diana Christensen, who's played by Faye Dunaway mm. and Frank Hackett, who's played by Robert Duvall. And eventually they fire. Who else gets fired? Schumacher gets fired too. But then Beale decides to, he agrees to be like a, a truth teller, a soothsayer. Yeah. Um, he works with Diana and he turns into this, insane kind of prophet character who is uh, making speeches and telling people like, this is the way the world is. And at the same time, Faye Dunaway's character is like doing deals with this. Are they like a communist group or something? They're like yeah, communist yeah, yeah. terrorists. And that again is kind of like satirizing the situation. That's the most satirical element in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean that, that all feeds into the ending as well, but still they're talking about airing, footage of a bank robbery that they've purchased a real bank robbery there's nothing strange about that nowadays about showing real footage of a bank robbery no, on the no, news no, no, no. and that they've purchased to be like well fuck it have at it no worries do you know what's the like modern day equivalent of this is genuinely one of the best movies of this century in my opinion night a nightcrawler mm, yeah yeah actually that might be the the most sort of modern take on this of how fucked up news is yeah and christiansen you might think she's the rene russo character but she's not it's uh, no, that's robert duvall she's jake gyllenhaal yeah yeah absolutely i agree beale because he's like he's front and center of this uh of this new show which has like some weird other segments on it there's simple this simple yeah the yeah simple the and, uh, <laughs> and a bunch of other Fox stuff Pop going on Fox yeah. Populi. yeah yeah and then he's like He's doing like preacher shtick where he's he faints at the end of each of his little sermons. But he also does a thing at one point where he makes his big I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore speech where he gets everyone to stand up and go to the window, which I guess the equivalent now would be like getting people to tweet. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. X or yeah, make a fucking TikTok or something, but still same idea. Christensen ends up getting into a relationship with Max Schumacher, with William Holden, which... Uh, they know from the start isn't going to go well because yeah. William Holden has to leave his wife. There's a very memorable scene where he explains to his wife that he's met oh, someone else. That's something else, isn't it? That scene was it was five minutes of screen time for Beatrice Strait, who plays his wife Louise, and uh, she won a Best Supporting Actress Oscar, one of the Deserve shortest it. Oscars for screen time. She's amazing. She's actually older than William Holden as well. She was like four years scene, older. Again, this is the young man, older man uh, version of watching the movie. That scene fucking blew me away. He's such a dick. And she is 
so human in it and she she's just like just the way she says i like i can like you know your weekends away with your secretaries and all this stuff over here but like i'm your wife i'm your wife and like the thing is it says really something about and do you know what if you look up a little bit about jayevsky i i'm sure there is some some of this commentary written in there is that like marriage was in general wasn't in a good place in the immediate post-sexual revolution in the United States because it was kind of figured like, ah, yeah, you can have an affair, whatever, you know what I mean? But it it had its effect and divorce rates went through the roof in America. But then ultimately, oftentimes what you were left with, it's like, do you ever watch that Louis Theroux? um, The swingers one. Yeah. And (laughs) it's like every swinger, every, every, uh, no, they prefer polyamorous. Yeah. Every oh, poly- yeah, yeah. That was the one where he did the little where he's spinning around on the uh, stripper pole. Is that from the same one? Can't but yeah, I, I I definitely watched that one because I every, remember the, every couple like, is, always has a bed. miserable member. Yeah. Like yes. there's, one, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. one person in there who's like, I'm, I'm Albert Brooks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm not up for this. And I think just. What's the name of the lady who plays the wife again? She's fantastic. She just that uh, scene is, straight. is heartbreaking because the thing is as well is you can you can tell that she would like she is there for a marriage. She want she's she she's a normal that, human being. She's all the hard not work like and sacrifice. Fucking, yeah, they're exactly. all shit bags because they they're work all... in TV or they are shit bags and then they chose to work in TV because they're shit bags. I think they're. Sh- I think particularly Holden is is a real shitbag in that moment because he sort of like because I he's I've... a dick all the way through. He says to fucking he says to Bay Dunaway's character like, you know, you're gonna end up fat and alone and da da da. Yeah, he's Jesus, just a complete yeah. dick. He's a dick on both sides. Yeah, it's true. It was 1976. The guy's a winner. The guy, <laughs> the guy gets results. What can I say? He knows what he's doing. He's a, he's a great uh, he's a great manager. God damn it, Murdoch, you're crazy, but you're good. Yeah. Continue. Yeah, so we see their relationship play out, the relationship between William Holden and Faye Dunaway, and it, it doesn't end particularly well. Uh, William Holden says he's going to go back to his wife, but he's not sure if his wife is going to take him back. And of course she fucking shouldn't because, you know, he's acting like a complete twat. There's a scene where Beale, which we've talked about already, Beale reveals that the Saudis are buying up a bunch, uh, basically are like taking over the TV news. And he reveals that in one of his sermons and the, he gets everyone to write letters to the White House and then this, the deal gets stopped. Then Beale gets taken into a room with like the big boss of the network played by Ned Beatty. And like we've we've already talked about, he gets fucking screamed at, and then he goes back. He basically takes the, the message on board. Forces of nature. He takes the message on board, and it goes, "All right, yeah, I guess I will just, I will, I guess I will just take what you've just told me, that BT, and I'll go and, and say that to audiences." So when he when he takes that on board, basically the audiences stop paying attention. Now they're like, "Oh shit," because he's just telling them like, you know, you're all gonna die, and like we need. We need to sell stuff to the Saudis so that the world functions. And everyone's like, oh, that's not good. I wanted to be angry. They do need to sell stuff to the Saudis in his defense. 
And so because everything is slipping away and the ratings are going to shit, uh, Robert Duvall and everyone else want to fire Beal. But Ned Beatty wants to keep him on, doesn't give a shit about the fact that the show's losing money, etc., etc. So all the guys in the back room get the leader and a few other people from that communist liberation army thing to go and assassinate to assassinate Peter Finch's William Beale. In a very uh, Monty Python-esque ending. Yeah. It's a sort of shoot him dead. And then, and that was the story of Howard Beale. The first man who was killed for having lousy ratings. That's the last line or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun times. It's a great film. It's a great film. It is a great film. I'm going to give this five stars. Five Andy stars. I'd give it and five Andy four and stars a half. too. Maybe I might I might take a half off. Listen, it's not Happy Gilmore. Might have to it is not Happy off. Gilmore. I'll watch Happy Gilmore five times before I watch this again. I've seen Happy Gilmore at least 20 times, I reckon. And could you watch it 25 times? I just may. Down by the bay. What I was thinking say? of watching Hubie Halloween. Mm, also good. I don't really have a huge amount to say about cast members cast members because we talked about yeah, some of these people before. We uh, talked about William Holden. We've talked about Robert Duvall recently. We've talked about Big Ned Beatty. Faye Dunaway was with Fellini's boy for a while. And Faye then, Dunaway. Uh, yeah, Faye Dunaway, difficult to work with. A lot of people said, Lumet says no, but everyone says that Sidney Lumet was like the world's nicest guy. So I wonder, but then I also wonder about her if she was just, it sounds like she was just one of those like detail oriented focused on making sure everything was okay but you know like a sort of edward norton and i did have a question which is can you be an are you allowed to be an arsehole if it's in service of the project is that acceptable or not where do we draw the line it depends it really does if you're good enough i think there's any yeah honestly i think if you're good enough I think there's any level of arsehole that can be tolerated. I think like if you're like, for example, okay, football is actually a great way to to think about stuff like this. Like, yeah, I don't th- I don't think there's any f- because it's a team sport, actually. I don't think there's any footballer in history that's been good enough to be a 100 percent nightmare arsehole and let their career continue that way. I don't think like yeah, not successfully anyway. No, it, it just it it won't work for you. It won't even in combat sports. If you're an arsehole, you'll topple because you need to have a team of people behind you. And then there's the other things that like maybe you're being an arsehole for your art, so to speak. Like your Christian Bales, don't look at me in the eye and all that shit. Yeah, that, I mean that seems to be the case here. Yeah, that what with Faye Dunaway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, apparently, like apparently, she would make people bring her bins to piss in and things like that. Apparently, she wasn't too That's pleasant. Fine. But she would say herself that she felt she was a bit of an arsehole in the seventies. I've read interviews with her where she says stuff like that. It's a different um, time. Robert De Niro is apparently an unrepentant dickhead and always has been. I've well, I mean, that. you saw that in his uh, court case of uh, late, where he didn't was know being, about this. He's being sued by his former personal assistant. And just for being all through, yeah, all through. Well, for doing stuff like getting her to, she had to do something at three o'clock in the morning and things like that. And I guess he shouted at her and things like that. But even in the court case, he's going, you know, they're like, <laughs> she's saying something and he's going like, wrong, didn't happen. He's like fucking trumping her. So he just came across as a bit of a. Well, I gotta respect that. But what about Daniel Day Lewis, like getting people to wipe his arse when he was playing Christy Brown? 
That's pretty. That's I would, have, I, would, I would carry a piss bin for him and wipe his arse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in service I'll, of I'll that. Bring, sure. I'll bring you the piss bin, one-legged man. Faye Dunaway uh, dated Lenny Bruce and Marcello Mastroianni, yeah. as you mentioned earlier, in the 1960s. She's got three Best Actress nominations. And Any one wins? win. One win for Network. It was a bunch of wins. All the actors she won, won She won for Network. That's good, because she's yeah. great in this. Network won one, two, three, four Oscars. Peter Finch won. Faye Dunaway won. Beatrice Strait won. And Paddy Chayefsky for Best Screenplay. So pretty good. But her other nominations were for Bonnie and Clyde in Chinatown. Of course. No, I could have guessed Forget those. it. Donica. Peter Finch is Howard Beale. <laughs> Born in London in 1916, he spent some of his childhood in a Buddhist monastery in India and then moved to Australia when he was 10. His mom broke up with his, not even his biological dad. He, has a, he had a very complicated uh, family history, but then he ended up in India for a while, then moved to Australia. He made a few Aussie films in the 30s before World War II, where he then served in the Middle East, and he was an anti-aircraft gunner during the bombing of Darwin. Jesus Christ. What which a life. features prominently in the film Australia. Yes, which you're, which you're a big film. fan. I'm a fan. <laughs> That's why I mentioned it, because I like... Listen, I watched Australia in the cinema, and I enjoyed it. Is it the most sensitive film about the history of Australia? Yes. Well, I mean, at least it finally yes. admits the Aborigines are magic. I'll tell you what, it's more sensitive than road games. I'll give you that. I prefer road games. After the war, he was spotted in a play by Sir Laurence Olivier, who told him, acting, dear boy, you should try it in London. <laughs> back to his hometown. <laughs> I don't know if he said it like that, but I did. And back to his hometown, he went. Peter Finch just went, you always talk like that. <laughs> it's like, why do you keep saying acting, dear boy, at the start of every sentence? <laughs> Back to London, he went. He did a ton of theatre and films, of which I've basically seen none. His final role was playing Yitzhak Rabin in Raid on Entebbe, a film where Yafat Koto played Idi Amin. Not Amin. Not Amin. Like fucking Idi Amin. Not Amin. Like fucking leather. Like leather mag. Make a suitcase out of you, fucking old old. Who do you think you are? Cock of the Walk? King of the Castle? I can't remember the rest. Uh, but you then Peter Finch like that, I'm gonna bury you. you. I fucking promise you, you, you fucking spunk bubble H. I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> you did, you did very well there for <laughs> a minute. Spunk bubble H. Finchy died. <laughs> Finchy died five days after uh, his his final TV film was re- uh, released. He also won the first posthumous uh, Oscar for acting, for and he was the playing f- Howard Beale. Yeah, and he was the first Australian to win Best Actor, but uh, he was the he was the first posthumous acting Oscar winner, but the second was also Australian. Who was the second posthumous acting Oscar winner? It was Heath Ledger. It was indeed. Oh, Keith. Old Heath, Heath Ledger. Keith Ledger. Uh, Finch was also nominated for Sunday, Bloody Sunday. You wake up oh, in the morning, yeah, you've got to read where... all the Sunday papers, the kids are running around, you've got to mow the lawn, wash the car, and you think, oh, Sunday. Sunday, Bloody Sunday. Ugh. Okay, finally, last one. <laughs> I had to actually search for that quote because I couldn't remember it. Uh, Beatrice Strait, who played Louise Schumacher, as I said, won an Oscar for five minutes of screen time. She was in the first actor's studio class in 1947, the founding class of the actor's studio, alongside Marlon Brando, Montgomery Clift, and uh, Sidney Lumet. So that's how she met. That's how she met. Sydney Lumet. They were in the actor's studio together. That's it. I'm going to add that was that was her claim. I don't know if it was a claim to fame. Bradley Cooper was still back there asking questions. Bradley Cooper was asking, 
asking Marlon Brando, uh, Marlon, uh, Bradley, third year student. Yeah, exactly correct. Anyway, but network. What, what was the name good. of the book that you read? Because I sent it to you and I... Uh, I've, I have, I've read about... You. I've probably read about a quarter of it at this point. It's oh, wait. No, I, yeah. The Making Mad of Mad as Hell. Right. Okay. I do have it's it. Enjoyable. The making of Network. It's interesting. Is it actually good? Uh, it is, yeah. You do get the feeling that... Yeah, Chayefsky was a very clever man and frustrated with um, the industry uh, would be... You can say. see that they like the characters speak in like a kind of almost lyrical way. Oh yeah, it's yeah, so yeah. well like, written. No one, it's... no one speaks like William, yeah, yeah, William yeah, Holden yeah. in real life. It's ridiculous. It's like it's getting to Sorkin yeah. levels. Well, well, no higher than that because it's a lot. I would it's say it's very higher flowery. Than, yeah. yeah, it's very flowery. Particularly, language. but but also then you're on his side when like Holden is just crushing Faye Dunaway <laughs> in the arguments. He's just like you fucking blah, 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 yeah. And even though I he's, was on her he's side, actually, that's the thing is he's a giant piece of shit. But like with his flowery language, he's winning anyway. Anyway, what did you have to bring to the table for a toss next week? I enjoyed these uh, two movies. I did enjoy these two movies. We've got a good I think we've got a chance of a good uh, double bill next time round. So my film for this time round is uh, it's a film from 1969. It's called Self Portrait. Have you heard of this? No, it's, it's a film uh, directed by Yoko Ono. It's 42 minutes of John Lennon's semi-erect penis. <laughs> and then at the end, a little bit of cum comes out. It's what? a twist. It's a shock ending. That's a real film. It's called Self-Portrait from 1969. Check it out. That's what okay. we're watching. I hope I win. I don't want to watch that. <laughs> no, okay. Uh, what, I, what I really chose was a film called The Ascent from 1977 by Larissa, oh, Sh- Larissa Shapitko. The acclaimed Russian filmmaker. Okay, and what I've chosen is a uh, Russell Crowe's 2014 attempt at directing *The Water Diviner*. Wow, I set you up for a tap-in, so let's hope. Let's see what happens. No, I I I don't want to watch *The Water Diviner*. I think it looks crap. I want to watch wow. *The Ascent*. <laughs> I know, but I'm saying for like for your choice of film, I set you up for a tap-in, so we'll see. Right, heads or tails? Tails. Come on, tails. No, come on, heads. Fuck. All right, let's see what happens. Fuck, I fucked it. Let's go one more time. <laughs> I didn't like how I caught that. Wait, what was yours again? All right, Tails is you and Heads is yeah. not shit. It is Tails. Oh, what? Is that the bad one? Oh, fuck. Ah, right. Fine. Well, okay. It was going to be come and see, right? Surely? I of said, course it was going to be come and see. That... I say, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I say, yeah, for yeah, a tap. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the movie by her husband. Yeah, which her is husband. Great. Indeed. Damn. I'm gonna push for come and see in a few weeks. Don't worry, we'll we'll get there eventually. You've never seen come and see, have you? No, but I put that for a toss at some point as well and lost. It's not meant to be. We just no. We'll get there. We'll get there eventually. Anyway. I follow the coin. I follow the power of the coin. Okay, so you've got three we're options. We're watching the water diviner. I'm gonna okay. give you all right. Two of them. There's setting obvious. You know what it is. There's setting less obvious, and then there's actor. I'll go actor. It's Les Miserables. Ah, oh, what? <laughs> you fucked it. Wow, okay, setting obvious. What's that? Um, what was the name of the... Gallipoli. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Less obvious is a 2015 or 2016 Can I change film. my answer? I don't want to watch Les Miserables. I really don't. Can we <laughs> change? Fuck no, there's no... No, you can't take... There's no take backs. Oh, Trust the man. coin. Trust the power of the coin. You did this to yourself. You have to watch Les Miserables. We have I've to watch Les Miserables. 
I know. I'll watch it again. But at least I'm, I listen. I, you know, I'm going to pull some funny clips from it because there's got to be some great bits and pieces. There's got to be some good business. I, in fact, you know what? I've already I've got one here, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. The other one was uh, The Promise about the Armenian genocide. It's uh, uh, yes, a, yes, yes, a, yes. A, sci- a Turkish science fiction film. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, that's not what I believe. I'm saying in Turkey, I guarantee they do not believe that that's a real thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so just as well we avoided that hot potato and instead we get Les Mis. Indeed, we do. We get Les Mis. for what you did. The rest because you tried to run. Yes, two, four, six, oh, one. Yeah, like I just have that lying around always. Do you know what? I'll say this. I watched that when it came out in the cinema. I enjoyed it a lot. What's her chops? Uh, Catwoman, Anne Hathaway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it really does a barnstormer in it. You'll cry. I'm going to cry again. Okay. I mean, I, yeah, I've, I've seen the musical and it's it's definitely one of my favorites. So I'm just worried about the quality of the singing. That's my main concern. Do you see the sexy men taking their clothes off? <laughs> no, no, no. All know. the time. Every time I close my eyes. Yeah, indeed, indeed. All right, cool. Uh, look. Just to, just to finish off, we've got one. Uh, there was another message. A second message from Michael Rice has hit Michael the Michael Rice sent another message in. Yeah, he sent another message right now. Here it is. I'm Michael Rice, and I'm in the cave from Neil Marshall's The Descent. I'm down here blowing the blind cave monsters because that's how I get my kicks, baby. Oh my and on God. that bombshell. <laughs> I can't believe you could get that message out from the cave. I know it's impressive. They've oh, it's good to know he's alive at least. Five G uh, technology. A, and now, in case we ever, now we know how to subdue those monsters. In case yeah. we ever encounter, indeed, yeah, or just you know, now, nah, but you, you and me don't get down like that. To be fair, no. Nah. All right, cool. Goodbye, Andy. I love you. I love you too. Bye. Bye. Bye.